Well, my name's Ryan Church. Glad that you are all here at Black Lake for what I anticipate will be just a, a great weekend to be together. I know that uh, over the years, I've certainly understood this weekend to be one of the great uh, community moments uh, for us throughout the year, a chance to get to know each other a little bit more, some of these faces that perhaps you see coming in and out of the inn. Uh, week to week, uh, you're going to have a chance to have a meal together and to uh, just hear each other's stories in small groups and in other ways. So, so glad uh, that you are here. Before we move on with what we have planned for tonight and the weekend, I want to give you a couple of introductions. First, my wife, Julie, and our little guy, Carson, are down there. And uh, so uh, be nice to them throughout the week. Uh, I know that right now Carson's starting to fade a little bit, so he might be headed out of here sooner rather than later. But uh, he loves to play, especially on this slide over here, so feel free to uh, go down it with him. And then the second, uh, the second person that I want to introduce to you here, or third as it may be, uh, is going to be sharing with us throughout the weekend, speaking to us. And when many of you heard that Greg Boyd was coming, uh, there, were, there were a lot of different responses. One of them was, how did you get Greg Boyd to come out here? You know, kind of this starstruck response. And, and, and then others came up, you know, saying, hey, who is this Greg guy and why is he coming to speak to us? So a, a couple of things that I want to tell you about Greg. First is... Uh, he has the great mind of an academic. He was a professor of theology at uh, Bethel Seminary for uh, 16 years. But that goes along with very much the heart and spirit of a pastor. He is currently uh, the pastor of a church in St. Paul, Minnesota. He has authored countless books on uh, the Christian faith, on living out the Christian faith and uh, and the, the theology that uh, that supports that. And so, so that's a little bit about Greg. Well, this is his third visit to you men's winter retreat. Uh, he, I first got to hear him speak when I was, uh, before I even started working here, uh, I, was, I was leading a core group, and I came with my core group to uh, winter retreat uh, down here. And that was the, the first time I heard, I heard Greg speak, and it had it, that, that retreat I remember was something that really stimulated me in terms of the way that I approached the faith intellectually. Well, then five years ago, he was here and, and talked a little bit about kind of, kind of around some of the stuff in his book, Repenting on Religion. And that really stimulated me kind of emotionally and spiritually. He's been a guy that as, as I have heard him, as I followed his uh, uh, other podcasts, other books, uh, he is a guy that is all at once very, very encouraging to me. And all at once, very, very challenging to me. Uh, so I'm really excited for you uh, to get to hear this person that, that if you're anything like me, you're going to be uh, listening to him going, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy's a grandfather? Uh, he'd be the coolest grandfather in the world. You have four? You have four grandkids now? Is that what you said, Greg? Four grandkids. And, and you know, when I think about it, I'm thinking, you know, if people would have said, hey, tell me a little bit about Greg, I would be, oh, this guy's like 50 going on 20 or something like that in terms of the energy that he brings to uh, the places that he speaks to. So with all that to say, all that to say, please give a warm in welcome to Dr. Gregory A. Boyd. 
appreciate that. Hello, everybody. Hey, that was really nice. Thanks. That nice, warm introduction. Um, I, I uh, don't feel all that energetic right now. I, I, I'm a two hours ahead of you guys. I'm from Minnesota. So right now it's like 11 o'clock, which is already past my bedtime. I was up at 3 this morning. So uh, I'm, I'm a, and, and I have ADD, so the tireder I get, the tireder I get. How's that for an academic? The more tired I get, the more rammy I get and incoherent. So I'm not responsible for anything that comes out of my mouth. So just know that going into this, all right? Agreed upon? So I don't know where that energy you're talking of uh, comes from. Uh, Garrett, was it Garrett, the, the guy up here? Was that? <laughs> you ought to go into acting because Kelly was so into you. Kelly, right? <laughs> Totally melting. I mean, it's like. She thought you were great. The rest of us thought you sucked, but she thought you were fantastic. And what was that play about? I, 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 I don't know if it's me. I'm 53, and I, I, but I, I wasn't following it. Anyways. Um, my wife and some of her friends always say you should never talk to a crowd until you say something personal because I tend to like just dive in and, and they say, we just don't want a talking head. Are you really recording this? If this gets back to my wife. I have the best wife in the world. Send it to her. Um, so uh, these pants I got for free. First question they ask me, I go back to the leadership room or whatever you want to call that room, and they want, how much did those pants cost? Well, it turns out they were asking everyone how much their pants cost, which is kind of weird when you think about it. Uh, but I was kind of feeling weird because I get asked that sometimes. Because these are true religion pants. Now, I, I don't know. And, and, in fact, they were saying, I, I'm styling, I got shoes. Well, see, the thing is, my daughter got married six years ago to a guy who, uh, uh, this great guy who runs these buckle stores. He's the manager of the buckle. You ever heard of that? I, I, I've never been there, but I get, I get hand-me-downs. So everything I get is for free. <laughs> so I, and, and I have to get it like for two years out of date. That's how, you know, but I used to be like 20 years out of date. So that's why I'm a styling guy. But I had no idea that these pants cost a lot of money. And I, I found out, um, it was about like a year and a half ago, they're about that old now, and they're the like only pants that work because they're so good. But uh, I, I was speaking at a conference, honestly, up in, up in Canada on poverty. And uh, I, I know it. I was dressed like this, and I was talking about we need to enter into solidarity with the poor and, you know, uh, all this really good stuff. And a person after the conference has blasted me for being such a hypocrite. I didn't have a clue what they were talking about, but they were saying, how can you wear those pants uh, and, and be preaching on poverty? I was like, well, if I didn't wear the pants, I wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be paying attention to what I'm saying. i got to wear something. <laughs> so, turns out they're like a hundred some dollars. Anyways. So uh, I am a pastor. Um, I have a wonderful wife. We've been married for 32 years. Uh-huh. And uh, we live in St. Paul. Uh, we live with um, uh, a dog named Max and, and uh, two cats. And uh, a hamster just died. Uh, it was really sad. Uh, but he, he was a good hamster. And um, we had... Um, uh, and my, my, I have a 25-year-old son who lives with us. 
he has high-functioning autism, so we're probably never going to be on finesters, but uh, that's a, a real cool arrangement. And then we moved into the city about six years ago, seven years ago now, with a bunch of friends. We all lived in different parts of the Twin Cities and the suburbs, and we just felt called to move into the city. So we moved in kind of on the same block, and now we do life together uh, in community there and uh, just kind of serve in that capacity. Uh, and it's just really good to do a lot of good ministry in Haiti together and things like that. And my main passion is... Well, I, I do have four grandkids, um, uh, two are adopted, and uh, see, my daughters are 31 and 29, and they're wonderful. Uh, one daughter lives real close to me, and she's in a Mennonite community, and they're serving the city there, and it's just really cool. Yeah, I got a good life. I got a good life. And I get to go out and speak to fine folks like you, so that's, that, that's wonderful. So thanks for, for, for having me. We're, the theme that I wanted to hit on, talking to Ryan about kind of what, what he felt like you guys have been learning and what God's been doing, is, is on something along the lines of living in light of the victory of Christ. What does it mean to live, to live out the kingdom? Um, and in light of the fact that, that you know, we know he wins in the end, what, what implication does it have for our life? And so I want to talk along those lines, but not just yet. I was sharing with the leadership team uh, just a little bit ago that as I was preparing, you know, just doing some prayer in the, in, in the cabin, I really began to feel a, a strong leading in, a, in a, a direction. It was, I don't know how charismatic you guys are, but the Bible talks about a word of knowledge. You ever hear about that? Like a word of knowledge, word of wisdom. God can like just download some stuff into your brain. And it's a way, I've just learned over time to pay attention to that. Whatever else is going on, in fact, I try to cultivate an awareness, I mean, always to keep one ear cupped to the Lord as you're going about your daily business, because we're supposed to be the body of Christ, which means we're supposed to be connected to Him, which means if He's the head, He gets to tell us what we do. And uh, trouble is we often spend 99.999% of our day doing exactly what we want to do without giving a thought to whether or not it's actually what He's into. And so to, you know, my finger needs to always be obeying my head and my, my feet and all the rest of me. And that means we need to always be listening. So that Christ the head has the right to say, I want you to go this way or that way or whatever. And a lot of times you don't know whether it's, whether it's him or, or, or whether it's just you. But I've learned over time, slowly, that uh, to pay attention to that and to respond to it. And just to start, sort of test the waters. So I'm praying before uh, this meeting... And I just had a word uh, that maybe for one person, maybe for all of us, and then maybe it's his lack of sleep, I don't know. But it, the sense was uh, that we are descendants of the Israelites. Jacob, in, in Genesis 32, wrestled with God. You remember that story? You know that story? Jacob was sitting there by the river, and, and this guy comes along. turns out it was the Lord. And uh, they get into a wrestling match. It's a bizarre story. He doesn't tell us why they were wrestling, what caused it. Just say, and Jacob wrestled with this guy. Did he insult him first? Uh, what, what caused the We don't know. Strange story. But they get into this wrestling match. And they wrestle all night long. And in the morning, finally, the Lord says, it's really odd because the Lord says, let me go. The, the sun is rising. They've been wrestling all night long. So like, it's like, and it's, the passage says the man could not overtake Jacob. But then... The guy touches his hip and causes him to have a limp the rest of his life. You know that story in Genesis 32. Which is weird because you think if he has the power to touch his hip and to cripple the guy, he could have probably beat him at any point in the night. Uh, but he didn't. It's an odd story. I'm thinking that it maybe it's something like when I wrestled with my grandson's soul. The other day he was down and, and uh, we, have, we have these wrestling matches. 
And I will get on my knees and say things, and he'll attack me. It's like, oh, you are so strong. You are so powerful. I cannot defeat you. I cannot defeat you. You're using your superpowers against me. And he's like, oh, my God. And really, for me, it's just a way of bonding, because you can't sit there and hug your grandkid for a half hour straight. That's kind of weird. But if you're wrestling, you're doing the same thing. I just love you so much. Let me go! So I think the Lord's kind of doing that. Oh, Jacob, you are so good. Oh, oh you're so strong, really. And bing! Let me go. But see, that was when it was a decisive turning point in Jacob's life. Because it, it said, from now on, you'll be called Israel, which means striving with God, or can be translated, God, God strives. And the point I feel led to say, and I really think at the, tonight we may not get past this one. It's, it's really foundational. We'll start, maybe start tomorrow talking about how to live out this faith. But this word tonight is just about what does it mean to have faith? And what's significant here, what's significant, I think, is that, that God names his people. Jacob was named Israel, and his descendants were called the Israelites because they struggled with God. They struggled with God. God renames them the strugglers with God. All that is to say that we've got to know that we are descendants of the Israelites. In fact, Paul in Galatians 6 calls us the new Israel of God. The Israel of God. We're descendants. We're grafted into Israel. Wow, I just felt like I got some power. Cotton! I, I just went through puberty in front of your eyes. This is amazing. I, what was I not? Uh, wait, am I not on or something? Or? Oh, I do? Well, this, is all, this is all discombobulated. I feel like the Pink Panther guy up here. Here, hang on a second. Just give me a second. I'm a very formal... Are you okay? Is that all right? Doggone it. What is the problem with this thing? So we're, just, we're, we're, we're grafted in. And what that tells us, what it's got to tell us, and, and this is, I think, so crucial for us in this kind of postmodern world we're in, and somebody here, I think, needs to hear exactly this word. It's okay to wrestle with God. In fact, you're supposed to wrestle with God. In fact, God wants you to wrestle with Him, to struggle, and to be all out about that. That's not, that's not the antithesis of faith. It's not a denial of faith. That expresses faith. When you're out loud and, and are tenacious and, and have the, uh, uh, the, the, the wherewithal to wrestle with God, that is an expression of faith. It's not a denial of faith. There's a lot of folks today, in fact, the majority of people today seem to think that faith is the absence of doubt. If you, you have faith to the extent that you're free of doubt, free of questions, your faith is as strong as you are certain. The more certain you are, the more faith you have. And so you end up with people who are kind of like the Wizard of, Li- the Wizard of Oz, and the Lion on the Wizard of Oz. It's getting late. The Lion on the Wizard of Oz. Who's like trying to talk yourself into believing. I do believe, I do believe, I do, I do, do believe. And then you're told that you need to believe because if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell. So it's like, I really do want to believe, I do, I do, I do believe. And then you're told that, you know, it, 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 to be really belong to the faith, you've got to believe all these stories, you've got to believe them, they're all literal, and everything's got to line up, you've got to have your T's crossed and your I's dotted, and it's all got to be in place, and you've got to be certain of it all. So you're going, I do believe, I do, I do, I do believe, I do believe. But then you confront all sorts of stuff that scrambles up your brain, and you have a lot of questions about stuff. And that would be fine if you could just deal with those kind of questions, but. And the paradigm that a lot of people have of what the Christian faith is, well, you're, you're, everything's being wagered on every question. You have to be equally certain of everything. 
Like, like believing Genesis 1 is literal is as important as believing that Jesus rose from the dead. And faith is to the extent that you are certain, so you're trying to make yourself certain. How does that work? How do you make yourself certain of something you're not certain of? How do you talk yourself into believing something that you don't really believe? The only people who are going to be good at that are very simple people and deluded people, self-delusional people, crazy people, or people who are at least are in, in that direction, the, you know, the people who can talk themselves into a reality, which is why the way faith is set up in the Western world, at least, the way it is in America, is a sort of a self-selecting process. If you've ever like listened to the news sometimes and you wonder how come so often on the news Christians sound so flaky, the answer is because there's a lot of flaky Christians. <laughs> And what, what, it doesn't help at all that we have a model of faith that favors the flaky. The better you are at talking yourself into a reality, the, 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 the better off you're going to be. I do believe, I do, I do, I do believe. And then if you start to question it and begin to really struggle with God, you feel like you don't belong. You're not part of the self-certainty club. Think about it. The club of people who are certain. The paradigm we have, to a large degree, in America is that faith is supposed to be the absence of all those things. It's supposed to be flowery, free of struggles, free of all that. And here God is calling his people the Israelites, those who struggle with him. See, if you look at the Bible, the heroes of the faith, they didn't have this flowery certainty about things. Moses, they push back sometimes. God announces to, to, to Moses, okay, step aside because I'm planning on annihilating them and uh, the Israelites and I'll start over with you. I'm so frustrated. And Moses says, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. You, you think about your reputation. You're in covenant with these people. He pushes back. And God listens to him, changes his mind, goes in a different direction. So our struggling with God isn't just for our sake, but it affects God. Think about that. And then you've got Abraham. God lets him on the inside secret. Hey, you know what? Sodom and Gomorrah, they're going down. And Abraham says, what? You can't do that. There's a lot of innocent people there. And then they have this dialogue a couple times going back and forth. Who'll give me, you know, who'll give me 50? Who'll give me 50? Who'll give me 30? Who, for 10 righteous people, I'll spare the city. But see, there, there's, there's a dialogue. There's, there's, a, there's a push, push back there. You read Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Job. Man, sometimes they're, 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 they're mad. They're like, what is going on here? You say that you're kind, but look what you're doing. You treat the pagans better than you treat the righteous. What's going down? Job, read the book of Job. And he gets nastier and nastier and nastier as that book goes on. And God, God chides him at the end for being kind of arrogant, thinking he knows stuff he doesn't know. But then he compliments him at the end. Chapter 42, he says, Job, he tells Eliphaz, I'm mad at you and your friends. Because you didn't speak about me right the way Job did. It's a really interesting thing here. Job, he just got reamed out for being arrogant, speaking arrogantly about God. And then Job, three verses later, repents of what he said. He says he repents for all that he had spoken. So what does God mean when he says Job spoke right? The word he uses there is the Hebrew word kun. And it means to align like with a plumb line, straight. God is so impressed with Job. Not, some of the stuff that came out of his mouth was nasty. He, he accuses God of being the adversary. You torment me. You blind the, the judges so they don't judge rightly. You don't listen to the prayers of the righteous. You throw the innocent out. You toy with me like a lion does its prey. You brought me into this world just to torment me. It goes on and on and on. That wasn't accurate. And though God puts him in his place, but he says, Job, you shoot straight. He, God, that, God loves raw honesty. Honesty. Just, your friends, if you read the friends of the book of Job, they all sound kind of evangelical. Oh, Job, don't say those nasty things. 
uh, God's righteous and you must be, you must be unrighteous because he's punishing you and, and it's all part of this great scheme. So, you know, you just better shut up. And, 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 but see, they're, they're speaking out of their fear. Job says that to him in chapter four. You speak out of your fear. They want a theology that's going to ensure that not, that, that this kind of bad stuff won't happen to them. Like a lot of folks have this idea. If I just have enough faith, nothing bad's going to happen. If I just have enough faith, well, then my kids are going to be protected. If I have enough faith, well, I'll never get sick. If I have enough faith, well, then I'm going to be wealthy. If I have enough faith, well, then God's going to bless me, bless me, bless me. And we have this self-certainty bless me club. The minute you do that, of course, you just indicted everyone who had a kid kidnapped and everybody who just got leukemia and everybody who was poor. Because obviously if they had enough faith, well, then they'd have what you have. It's what a nice, self-serving, convenient theology to have if you're the one who's got all, all the blessing. Relieves you of all responsibility. Here I am. I got all my nice little blessings. I got my true religion genes. And I don't have to worry about those poor suckers out there who don't have it because I believed and received. Hallelujah. And uh, that's their problem. And see, and that's an extreme form of what I'm talking about. But that kind of thinking runs all over the place. The self-certainty club. I'm just certain. The heroes of the faith. Here's the thing. And, and is there a clock around here? Uh, I, I, I'm trying to shoot for 20 to 10 or so. I, I don't see any clock, and I don't have a clock. Does anyone have a watch I can borrow? Can I, can I, can I, I appreciate that. So far, I came up here. I borrowed a quarter from Rachel. Thank you, uh, Rachel. I borrowed a pen from somebody, and now I'm borrowing a watch. So far, this is the best borrowing I've had. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, you better it, remind me I have this, because yeah, otherwise it may not get back to you. Um, yeah, so, so the, the, the heroes of the faith had the audacity to wrestle with God. Because, see, biblically speaking, faith isn't this psychological gimmick. What we have going on today is, to a large degree, reducing faith to a psychological gimmick. And some people are good at that, but the more rational and grounded you are, the less good you are at that, where you can talk yourself into believing something that you really don't believe. That's so unfortunate. Faith isn't this psychological gimmick. We need to do the wizard of the, the lion and the wizard of Oz sort of thing. Faith is a covenantal concept. In the Bible, faith is a pledge of trust and trustworthiness. You know what happens if you have? I'll get back to the trust and trustworthiness here in a second. But when you have an idea that faith is certainty, what will happen? And I know some of you in college are struggling with this is you develop a fear of learning. Because you might just learn something that's going to challenge your faith. And if, if faith is the absence of doubt, then doubt must be a form of evil. And so a lot of Christians experience cognitive dissonance, inner conflict, as though it was some kind of a sin. And it makes sense. If your idea of faith is self-certainty, well, then to experience doubt and conflict, to begin to question things, well, that must be sinful. And so what happens, whether you're doing it intentionally or not, is that a lot of Christians develop a sort of phobia to learning. That's why you can meet, I've met Christians who can be super intelligent and successful and have PhDs, but when it comes to talking about their faith, all of a sudden it's like you're talking to someone in second grade. They never let their faith grow. They insulated their faith. It's got all these protection mechanisms around it so that nothing can ever seriously get in and challenge the faith. Because too much is at stake. Salvation is at stake. Or if not salvation, then maybe whether or not your kid is going to receive healing. 
Because if you have enough faith, your kid will be healed, right? So if you start doubting, well, now your kid's going to stay blind. Whereas otherwise he could get his eyesight back or you could be wealthy or whatever. So there's so much leverage here that what happens is people, without maybe thinking about it, they isolate their faith, they insulate it, they try to protect it from all the nasty questions of the world. And going through college can be tough. You, you just sort of self-select, you try not to hear you, you, because you're too busy going, I do, I do, I do believe. I submit to you that faith, biblically understood, faith isn't this psychological gimmick where you've got to talk yourself into some kind of a certainty. Here's what faith is. Faith is like going to the altar and saying, I do, when you pledge to be married. Faith isn't something you can go inside of your head and manipulate. That's a gimmick. That's widespread today, but that's not the true nature of biblical faith. Biblical faith is covenantal faith. It's about entering into a covenant where you pledge to trust another person and to walk trustworthy to another person. That's the nature of faith. I do in marriage, where you say, I trust your character, and I will, I, will, I pledge to walk trustworthy before you. In, in, in a covenantal understanding of faith, the last thing you do is go inside of your, excuse me, go inside your head, uh, to do sort of a psychological assessment. How strongly do I believe? When I said I do to my wife 32 years ago, I wasn't giving a report of how certain I was of things. I had to have good reason to, 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 uh, to step up there and, and put my life on the line for sure. But I don't have, didn't have the certainty that this is all going to be working out wonderful and that we're going to live happily ever after and, and whatever. I wasn't giving a report about what's going on in my head. I was pledging my heart to her. I do. means I trust you to be faithful to the terms of our covenant. And I pledge to be trustworthy to the terms of our covenant. To love you, to support you, to, to cherish you, for better or for worse, till death do us part. That's why the way you know whether you have biblical faith is not by going inside your head and asking, do I have enough certainty to sort of get me by and get me saved or get me healed or find me a nice parking space? No. The way you know that you have biblical faith is you're doing it. If I want to know how faithful I am in my marriage, I don't go inside my head. In fact, any spouse who goes inside of their head to find out how faithful they are, it's a sign that either they're heading to trouble for trouble or they're already in trouble. What kind of a spouse goes inside their head and says, do I trust my wife? How much do I trust my wife? Um, hmm, uh, how certain am I that this marriage is going to work? The minute you start asking those kind of questions, you're in trouble. Those are the wrong kind of questions. In fact, when you say, I do, when you get married, it means you stop asking those questions. The time to ask those questions is before you get married. Once you get married, now you stop asking those questions. The way to find out how, 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 how well you're carrying out biblical faith is to ask the question, are you doing it? Am I being a good covenant partner with my wife? Am I being a faithful husband? Am I carrying out the vows that I pledged to her 32 years ago? And to answer that, I shouldn't ask myself the question, Going inside of my head, hmm, how am I doing? Rather, I should ask her. Honey, am I being faithful? I don't mean, am I cheating or whatever, but am I faithfully carrying out my vows? Uh, how am I doing? And to ask people who are in on my life. How, do you, what do you see here? Because I can be self-deceived. You can be self-deceived. We can all kid ourselves. The evidence that you have faith is not... 
that you're certain that a particular story in the Bible is literal, to be interpreted literally, or you're sure that this event happened here, or, or any of those, those, those are, comparatively speaking, peripheral issues. The way that you know you have faith is you are living it. Another way of saying that is this. In the modern psychological gimmick self-talk sort of understanding of faith, where you try to just be certain of things, the evidence that you have faith is what? Some kind of feeling in your head, some kind of certainty in your brain. And you can be kidding yourself about that. But uh, in the Bible, faith is something that is visible. So Jesus, in, in Mark 2, it says that when they lowered the guy from the ceiling, you know, that paraplegic, they brought him to the house, they couldn't get in, so they lowered him through the ceiling. And it says Jesus saw their faith. Faith is something you can see. Are you certain? No. But if you have faith to act on something, that's biblical faith. Jesus saw their faith. That's why James says in James chapter 2 that faith without deeds is useless. Anyone says that they have faith and yet there's nothing there that evidences it, that's, that's not real faith. You're kidding yourself. That's like a husband who is convincing himself that he's a great husband or a wife convincing herself that she's a... Let's pick on the wife for a little bit here. A wife who's saying, I'm a great wife. I love my, I love my husband so much, but she's never there. She, she, she never thinks about him. She's never, you know, uh, carrying out the, the covenantal vows. Maybe she's out with her friends every night. But she convinces herself she's a good, a, a good wife because she feels love in her heart. Well, you're kidding yourself. If you really are a good wife or if you really are a good husband, you'll be there. You'll be sacrificing. You'll be supporting. You'll be carrying out your covenantal vows. And that's how you know that you're a good spouse. It's self-delusional to think that you, that the fact that you feel something or are certain about something, that that's real faith. See, what we have in America all over the place, folks, as a pastor, I'm telling you, I see it all the time. It's like this plague. It's an affliction. It's epidemic. Where folks convince themselves they believe something, and yet there's absolutely nothing in their life that shows that they believe that. They sure are certain that they're interpreting Genesis 1 right and that they have this Elijah story right and they're, all, they're certain about that. They have the truth and yet their life just reflects the values of the culture. And every study done, mainly by Barna, has shown that that's the case. Something like 80% of American Christians, when asked on a phone, do you believe? They answer yes. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. But when you ask what does it mean in your life, the answer to about 75, for about 75% is almost zippo. In other words, take Jesus out of their life and they live pretty much the way they live now. See, they must do some game in their head, convincing themselves they believe, I do, I do, I do believe, I do, I do, I do believe. And yet if it's not shown in our life, that's not genuine faith. Biblical faith is visible. You can see it. And the reason is because it's not about going inside your head it's about acting on things. It's about living out a conviction. Jesus saw their faith. Were they certain that that guy was going to get healed? No. They weren't certain. But they had enough faith to act on it. That's the nature of biblical faith. I have got so many questions. You think that by now I would have had it all answered. I don't. The longer I live, the more questions I have. In fact... Honestly, the, the, the longer I live and the more I wrestle with stuff. The reason why this thing is so, so big for me right now is because I have been going through a huge wrestling match with God for about the last two years. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to open a Pandora's box. So I'll just say this. What it's kind of about, what it's mainly about is I can't or I haven't. I'm starting to get some light now. 
Uh, dawn is breaking, but I've been in this wrestling match where I cannot, for the life of me, I could not, understand how God can, in Jesus Christ, say, uh, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, uh, and give his life for his enemies, and tell us never to use violence. And then you've got Deuteronomy 7 where he says, go slaughter them all and show no mercy. Hello, cognitive dissonance, mismatch, what? Same God in both Testaments. Show no mercy, slaughter the children. Over here, blessed are the children, let them come unto me. Turn the other cheek, never retaliate. So I've been, it's like, it's, it's just like Moses. It's just like Abraham. It's just like Jeremiah. Hello, God, what's up here? You tell me this, and then I see this, and you push back. And I've been in this wrestling match. But I, I'm not in a wrestling match because I'm trying to deny my faith. I'm in a wrestling match because I believe. If I didn't, if my faith was less passionate, I wouldn't care enough to wrestle like this. It's like if my wife, if my okay, in real life case, about two months ago, I'm down in the mall. There's a young lady there who was dressed inappropriately. I should say was was not dressed appropriately. She didn't have enough clothes on. And I know that I'm older than you guys, but, but I, objectively speaking, I, I can tell you, this is an objective statement. She needed some clothes. If that was my daughter, I would have taken off my clothes and put them on her. It's like, and, and she was carrying herself in a way where, you know, my job as a kingdom person is not, I, I, as soon as I catch myself thinking any thought other than, uh, thank you, Jesus, for creating her and dying for her, then I have, to, I have to collapse that. So I just start blessing her and praying for her. But I notice how she's affecting other people. She's walking along here, and the guys are gawking at her, and the other young ladies are sneering at her. Because yeah, you know, she was just strutting her stuff, you know, and goo mama. And, uh, and, you know, the wives were clutching their husband's hands, saying, Don't you dare! Just like, Whoa. Ah! No, so, okay, so I, I've seen this. And because I don't know her, she's not my daughter, and she's not my wife, my only job as a kingdom person. It's to bless her and to, and to uh, agree with God that she was worth dying for and to just pray for her and not to have any other thought. Right? Because that's our job is, is just love. Not to judge, just to love. So I just blessed her. Now, if my wife came and met me at the mall dressed that way, I probably would have had a few more thoughts other than she has unsurpassable worth. I would have... Uh, said, this is also getting awkward. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, honestly, I would have said bad timing. I like the outfit, but not here. Uh, <laughs> your timing sucks. No, it would have been, honey, what are you doing? I would have thought, okay, this is some kind of a gag or something, because I know my wife, 32 years. She doesn't dress like this. She's not trying to send a message like this other lady was. She's not having that kind of I know her, and I, I, I know her character, and this is totally out of character. And I would have said, you know, what is up with this? I, maybe I would have you know, been flustered. I would have been maybe angry if I thought she was serious, or I would have been for sure confused. But my now getting angry about this or frustrated about this, it's not because I am an unfaithful husband and I don't love her. Rather, it's because I am a faithful husband and I do love her. So, of course, I'm going to say, what is up with this? The other lady I don't have any relationship with, so my only job is just to bless her and move on. So, also, the fact that you don't have any questions or any struggles does not prove that you have got great faith with God. For all I know, it proves that you don't. Maybe you're too apathetic. You just don't care enough to think deeply about stuff. 
But if you do have faith and you do think deeply, there'll come times where you, you wonder, what is up with this? And the word that I want to share tonight is simply this. It's okay to ask that. It's okay to be in process. But I don't know how, I don't know how you can be a passionate, faithful person and also be a thinking person and not have questions and struggles. And you don't have to have it all together in order to throw your hat in the ring and totally get on board with this revolution that Jesus came to birth. Uh, you, you, you know, for me to get involved in the kingdom, I, I, I have so many questions about this or that, and I'm, I'm in this wrestling match with God, and I'm now working on this book to come out with how to reconcile these things together and all of that. And some people will like it, and a lot of people aren't, but that's all right. But, but uh, all these questions, but for me to get involved in the kingdom, to become a kingdom person, there's only one question I've got to ask myself. And that is not, am I certain? Because certainty only comes in mathematics and logic. But the question is, am I, do I have enough reason to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord for me to leverage my life on it? And I will know that the answer is yes, not by doing an internal search on some kind of faithometer in my head, but rather that I'm willing to act that way. I'm, I'm willing to live in this direction. Just like my wife will know that I am certain enough, I have reason enough to believe that we're compatible enough, and I trust her character, and blah, 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 blah. I, I'll, I'll lay my life on the line in saying I do. Am I certain about stuff? Of course not. She could wake up tomorrow morning with a brain tumor and her personality's totally changed and I got to live with that the rest of my life, for all I know. That happens. I don't know anything, but I'm willing to leverage everything on this. So also with Jesus. I, I can tell you, we could spend all weekend if we wanted to, talking about why believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, the historical evidence, the, the philosophical evidence, uh, existential evidence, and, and all those kind of things. I love talking about that. And there's a time to process. Well, you know, how do you leverage, how do you weigh these things out? What takes more faith, to believe you rose from the dead or not rose from the dead? What takes more faith, to believe that God's personal, that there is no God? There's a time to process that, but then there's a time to act. And the time to act is when you really do see that this way of living and this way of believing makes more sense than that way. And if I've got that down about Jesus Christ, I believe that, that God became a human being and died on a cross for me. It tells me everything I need to know about God and tells me everything I need to know about me and tells me everything I need to know about you. There is a God whose essence is unfathomable love and I am worth and you are worth and every person I see am worth him dying for. Well, you know, everything else is gravy. How, whether Samson really got stronger because his hair got longer, uh, whether that's literal or allegory, we can talk about that. That's an interesting discussion. But I, I shouldn't put on pause... My faith commitment, if I really do see that there's good reason to believe this, this makes more sense of everything rather than living a different way, well, then i got to say I do. And that's all it is to, 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 to join up with the kingdom. I do. And then the next day you say, I do. And the next day you say, I do. And the whole goal of the Christian life, and we'll start talking tomorrow about how, you know, what it means to really live this out. But the whole goal is to be faithful to the I do, day in and day out. And you know you have faith because you're moving in that direction. If you're not, well, then I would encourage you to really, really ask some friends, if people are close to you, whether it's genuine or not. It's not where you're at. But are you going in this direction? If I'm cheating on my wife, I'm not a good husband. I don't care what I tell myself. 
You see, are we, are, are we living as, at least moving in the direction of becoming a faithful bride? Because faith is always visible. If I have the reason to say I do, well then, now, put it, putting, putting on hold our faith commitment to Jesus because we're not sure about the Samson story or Genesis 1 or whatever, that's like me putting on hold my saying I do to my wife because I'm not sure she's good at sewing. Or I'm not sure that, you know, maybe, you know, it might turn out that, that, that she really is pokey and takes a lot of time to get places. Turns out she is. <laughs> I didn't know that, but I always am waiting for her. <laughs> I, 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 always. I'm, I, everything we do, I, I, I'm always ahead of her waiting. I spend a lot of my life waiting. But you know what? Okay, I didn't know that, but that comes, but be, I, I, I'd be a fool. For me to say, well, I, I don't know, you know, if I really want to say I do, because are you pokey? <laughs> well, there's going to be something. So also, to leverage everything on getting all the questions answered, that's just the wrong way. To, that's not biblical faith. It's okay to have a whole lot of questions. The longer I'm at this, the more questions I have. But I, I'm, I've, I'm certain enough about Jesus Christ being the revelation of God, dying on a cross, rising from the dead for me and for you. I'm certain enough to say, you know what, I'm putting my hat in the ring, and this is how I am going to live. That's why we're called the bride of Christ, as a faithful wife. I'm going to live this way. And, and tonight when I go to bed, I'm going to be trying to live out those vows. And tomorrow when I wake up, my, my main objective in life now is to live out that consistently. That's faith. Do I have answers to all those questions? No, I don't. Will my wife ever stop being pokey? <laughs> Probably not. But I'm not going to put anything on hold because of that. One final word, and I've got to wrap this up. It may be the case that while some here are perhaps trying to tell yourself you believe even though your life doesn't reflect it, like the delusional husband, there are others maybe who aren't good at that psychological game, doing I do, I do, I do, but you still can avoid being a committed believer because you get lost in the questions. You know, if you'll just, if you can just figure out for sure, you know, is there enough historical evidence to believe that the conquest narratives in Exodus, that they really happen that way? And, and uh, have we figured out the genre of the, of the book of Jonah? Is that, is that literal or figurative? And how does evolution in particular integrate with Genesis 1? If I get all that figured out, you know, I'm going to be a super Christian. If I decide to believe. But one of these days, I'm going to get around to it. See, that's sort of like the, a delusional husband who's sitting there saying, you know, he, he's never there for his wife, doesn't support his wife, doesn't cherish his wife, isn't living out the vows, but he's really into the question. What does it mean to be a faithful husband? What does it mean to, to, be a, to, to really be in love? Mm, it's kind of the essence of that. Because that's another way of kidding yourself, of distracting yourself from the real issue. You'll never get it all figured out. You, if you're a thinking person, you won't have it figured out, all figured out. The question is, is, do you have enough to go on to say, I do? And you, you can do that tonight, and then you do it tomorrow and the day after. Don't go inside your head, either with trying to convince yourself that you're a true believer, or going inside of your head trying to convince yourself that, that you're really serious about the kingdom because you're thinking about it. That's my temptation. I feel like I'm actually doing the kingdom because I'm pondering it all the time. Uh, the, only, the only thing that matters... Is do you, are, are you willing to lay down your life as the, as the bride of Christ uh, for Jesus? Do you have enough to go on there? Is, is there a risk? Yeah. That's not, that's not just a religious thing, you guys. Uh, when I got on the plane today, I was, I was exercising faith. 
Did I know that that plane was going to fly all right? Did I know that the pilot wasn't drunk? I was flying Delta, you know. Uh, do I know there wasn't a terrorist on board? I, how could you know that? You can't know that. Once in a while, the thing crashes. But it's a pretty rational act of faith, but it is faith nonetheless. You're sitting in this room. That's an act of faith. Why? Because you don't know that this person or that person over there isn't, doesn't have a bomb. Maybe they had a breakdown, and under the chair is a bomb, and it's going to go off in 30 seconds. Yeah, it's rather unlikely, but, but it's... Every, you know what? I'm aware that every time I get up in front of, 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 of a crowd, there is a chance that uh, someone is going to pull a gun out and shoot me. It's an act of faith to get up there. Now, if I knew there was a person who wanted to shoot me, I wouldn't get up there. Uh, but I, I, I take a chance, especially given some of the emails I get and the phone calls I get. Uh, yeah, those odds are, are increasing. Uh, so, but it's an act of faith. If you really believe that Rachel, is it Rachel? No, you lend me the quarter. What was your name? Look at that. Who lent me the quarter? Rachel. Where's Rachel? I love you, Rachel. <laughs> if you really believe Rachel had a bomb, if you really believe that, you'd run out of the room right now. I sometimes am so profound, really. I, and I, you, you, could, you could tell me that you believe Rachel had a bomb, but if you don't run out of here, I know you're kidding yourself. You know that, or you really have a deep suicidal impulse. Okay, you, you, faith without action is dead. Um, we take everything we do, driving in the car, everything we do involves faith. There's nothing unique about the Christian faith in terms of the faith you know it's there by acting on it. Uh, faith isn't a religious thing. When Jesus says, according to your faith, he's simply stating a life principle. The way that you believe is the way you're going to live. According to your faith, be it unto you. The question is, do you have enough faith to strive to be, to commit to be a faithful partner with God? And the fact that you have questions, we've got to be okay with that. You are descendants. I am a descendant of the, uh, of the Israelites. The fact that you have questions and you struggle with God is not a sign of lack of faith. It could very well be a sign that you have faith. Uh, you do care. You care enough to think about it. You care enough to be honest. You care enough to be like Job. What's real? What's real? I, I encourage you to be honest with God. And don't put questions as a, a, an excuse to not be fully invested. If you've got enough reason to believe, then get invested. Buy into this game. Get passionate about it. Become a faithful spouse of, of Jesus Christ. Dive into this thing. And then now struggle with the questions from the inside. Yeah, those are good questions. But we don't do them as deal breakers, uh, whether we're going to get into the marriage or not. No, we do it from the inside of the marriage. Father, I just thank you for every person who's here tonight. I am not entirely sure why you put this on my heart to say, but I, I, I just believe it's, it's landing with some folks who need to hear it. Lord, give us honesty with ourselves and honesty with you and honesty with one another, Lord, to, to be real. Uh, God, give us the integrity to uh, honestly ask ourselves, is our faith visible? And to ask others. I pray, Lord God, that even this weekend there'd be a sense of community where we could be honest with one another. And, and at least for, with one other person. Lord, one other person say, do you see in me a tangible faith? A faith that is visible? Uh, what do I really believe as is evidenced by how I live? Lord, give us that kind of honesty with you, with ourselves, with one another. And Holy Spirit, pull us to the point where we say, I do. And we say it tonight, and we say it tomorrow morning, and we say it moment by moment the rest of our life, Lord. Be glorified in our life in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.